We're a unique podcast for families of faith, produced by parents and pastors who understand and appreciate how hard it is to maintain your faith in a hostile culture. We're here to encourage and support you in the most vital role of all, parenting. If you're feeling overwhelmed and afraid, it's okay. You're not alone. Brilliantly Brave is hosted by two honest and engaging dads with nine kids between them. A road tripper, author, and pastor, Father Brad Mathias, and iShine founder, solo parenting expert, and all-around foodie, Mr. Robert Beeson. Join us each week as we explore and engage with some of the most intriguing, inspiring, outrageous, and awesome parents in the world. This is Brilliantly Brave. Hi, it's Brad Mathias. I'm Robert Beeson. And together we are Brilliantly Brave Parenting, and uh, this is our year-end wrap-up show. We've had some great hosts. I mean, great guests. Not great hosts. No, we're, we're, we're very proud of ourselves. Uh, yeah, we did. We had season two uh, was, you know, this whole thing was kind of an experiment. Um, you really pushed us to get involved in podcasting as a resource for parents. I was a little hesitant, just a little concerned it might be trendy and, you know, fading. And you really pushed us on it. And I, after some time of prayer at the end of 2016, we really decided to jump into parenting as a podcast. And so it's kind of been interesting to watch uh, the people that God has brought into the mix. And season two, which started in the summer of 2017, was excellent. It really was. We had some great guests. We really have. And so our producer, uh, Rick Welke, he challenged us to take uh, a little time and look at our our shows and say what were the sort of the highlights yeah um, and it's hard to do because we had so many great guests we had to kind of whittle it down to to three specific ones and i'm not going to say that they're my favorite ones although i love them because there were so many of them that i really love it's just when you have to like isolate three it's very difficult so for me these are the three episodes um the three topics that i th- i felt like wow that was that was pretty Mind blowing. That was breakthrough for us. So um, I just don't want to belittle the rest of the exactly because yeah, we had I mean, so we many had great, great guests. guests. Yeah, no, we we definitely had some great guests. If you haven't listened to our podcast series for 2017, you know they're they're worth going back and hearing. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, some of them I've actually found myself referring to. Likewise, and the thing that I found interesting about podcasting, and I'm sure you can relate, is that. You know, I learned so much. I know this is we're doing this for the sake of parents out there. I mean, but being a parent, I, it's just I learned things that I hadn't looked at in that particular way. And so this season has been been more of that, and I've been really strengthened and encouraged and challenged. And uh, the first episode that we're going to talk about is definitely no exception to that. Right. So, you know, we we really were impressed by the the sort of knowledge and and information that came with this guest. Uh, he he's promoting a movie and a book series called Is Genesis History. His name is Thomas Purifoy. He was one of our first guests of the season. And I I mean talking to this guy, you know, it could have been a dry subject, but it ended up being this really interesting dialogue. Absolutely. And I think it goes hand in hand with his with his movie Is Genesis History. It's set box office records actually when it came out um for single day you know in wow. theater numbers so i mean it really really resonated with the crowd and i think there's for it's for good reason because he's tackling this idea of creation and put which is very lofty and me being just a layman kind of you know it takes it takes a lot for me to understand something i saw the movie the day it came out and i was so excited to have him as a guest because he does 
in the movie, what he did on our podcast. And that is really bring this to a simple understanding. He has really great ways of looking at the evidence to support creation and actually says that creation is history. That is our history. That is the earth's history. And so, um, I love this episode. I know we're going to get into a snippet of it. Yeah, and I, I think this is perfect for the parent who's got, uh, you know, an adolescent child who is hearing or experiencing um, school in a way that's somewhat conflicting with their faith. Mm-hmm. In other words, you got a kid who's in a science class, he's coming home, and he's really questioning mom and dad, you know, is this true? Is this just, you know, is the Christian uh, Bible really reputable when it comes to science? Is it trustworthy? Yeah, is it trustworthy? Is this something that actually can be literally interpreted? And so, you know, Thomas Purifoy really goes into the detail behind the science in a way that I could even understand. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, you know, he really gives parents some some helpful information. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Like they don't have to go against this entire culture on their own. They can actually get some biblically based science that will help them uh, dialogue with their kids. It's not going to solve the problem, but it's going to give the parent resources. Absolutely. Let's get to it. Where do you start? Where does a parent out there start talking about creation or uh, the evidence of our faith related to creation? Where do you where well, do you suggest we it's start? funny. You, I don't know if you, you may not know this. This film actually was started with a conversation with a tween. So my daughter know. Libby, interesting, yeah, who's that's... out there in the other room now, what fourteen? Yeah. She was ten, and she saw the Ken Ham Bill Nye debate. And Libby's very smart, uh, very very sharp. And uh, the first time she had really been introduced to evolutionary thinking with Bill Nye. Um, and a lot of that is she just had that thought about. It. And so she, we asked, started asking, started with really conversations. So I think that's a good place. Where do you start? Start talking about stuff. Mm. And what she had done is she'd been taught the Bible really well. And she quickly began to realize that any picture of an old earth, picture of evolution, um, meaning the idea that we were had a common descent, a common ancestor that we all were descended from, related, you know, originally, you know, we're primates. But going back, if you go back, you're back, back to bacteria. It's just a single tree of life. All these things I think she quickly realized, even at 10 years old, that this is a different history. It's a different story than it's in the Bible. The issue is not science. The issue is history. Hmm. Science wants to impinge on it, and they want to, you know, kind of make it that as an issue. But that's not what the issue, in my opinion, is at all. And she realized that early on. So I felt I needed to understand more about this myself. So I started to study. Really, the film was in a way to answer her questions. And that's so, crazy. in a sense, some people have said, "Well, it's a film for adults." I'm like, "Well, it's really." It's really designed for thinking people at all ages, yeah. not trying to make it too complex, but also you can't oversimplify. So where do you start? I think you start with questions and starting to ask kids, what are they interested in? Because you don't know. I mean, you can right. jump in one area that may not care about that. I think that's the first good thing. Um, that's a good tip. Great. Yeah, and that, that really um, con- confirms some of the experiences we've had working with the ministry, iShine. We found that tweens, uh, kids between the ages of 7 and 13, uh, are really hungry to be treated like adults. In other words, mm-hmm. they like to engage at a higher intellectual level than often we may think. They can. Yeah. They absolutely can. Yeah, and part of that is it seems to be a direct response to the digital revolution. So they've been exposed to all these ideas. They see and hear uh, really complicated thoughts every day on their smartphones or on the Internet. And so it seems that their capacity to wrestle with these difficult questions and wrestle with their faith is not only expanded, but it's voracious. Like they're hungry for that. Have you found that to be true? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've taught 
um, in a high school and of course in middle school for myself for years and taught junior high and, and younger even in um, elementary kids for years in Sunday school. And what I find is that as you present things as the way they really are and say, look, I think the Bible's a, a good book, but it's not a book that I'm, that faith is not a, you know, push the I believe button and take a big leap. It's more like, you know what, it's actually a terribly rational thing to think. It's a rational faith, um, which is very much not the way our society is taught. And so I think that when you present to kids and say, let's just explore this together, let's look into it, the challenge is the parent does need to know some things. And so I think that the two areas that parents have to know really well is the Bible first. Mm-hmm. That most parents don't realize how much the Bible talks about the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I mean, I would think it was a we, we interviewed a theologian, Doug Kelly, and I was reading an interview. Where I'm working on some materials right now, so I'm going back reading some of these interviews with these guys. And he, he said over 150 times, some part of Genesis 1 through 11 is mentioned either by allusion or by direct statement in the New Testament. Hmm. Um, and, and then you meet all the comments in the Old Testament as well, is that basically the rest of the Bible looks at those first 11 chapters as foundational. I mean, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great British pastor, listening into a series of him on Genesis, and he said, you know, Unless Genesis is history, the gospel is not true. I mean, you, these are directly related. Jesus, if you look at Luke 3, he, God says, hey, you're my son. You baptize him. And then guess what Luke does? He goes into a genealogy. And he ends up from Jesus all the way to Adam, who's the son of God. And guess what's next? Chapter 4 is the temptation, So, which is the repeat of what Adam did in the garden. Like hmm. Jesus is the son of God going in to, to you know, defeat Satan whereas Satan defeated the first son of God. It's all about that comparison. And so I think that as parents... You got to know the Bible teaches about these things, and that's your bedrock. And so I think that being able to teach your kids that scripture, because that's what we found our my kids. I mean, I got I mean, a funny story. Same daughter, Libby, sitting across the table from a guy I love, a professor of systematic theology. Um, this is a high-level guy who had kind of adopted an old earth view, and he was trying to explain his view of Genesis 1 to us at the table, and I wasn't going to engage you. I really like him. I really respect this guy. I think there are a lot of reasons intellectuals accept these views. Not worth getting into here. But she was very respectful. After he left, she was like, well, what about the context? What about this, 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 and this? You know, <laughs> what about day? And it means this. And what about, you know, Exodus chapter 20, where it talks about, you know, the fourth commandment. Yeah. Creation of the world in six days. And rest in the seventh. That's why you got a week. Um, she knew all these. So I think it's very important that parents teach their kids the Bible and what the Bible teaches, because you can pretty much prove creation in six days from Jesus and Paul and Peter. And then if they, if you hold them as an authority, you know they weren't wrong. So then what, how did we get to where we are today? That, and that which is the second area, but you got to know the Bible first. Yeah, that's great. I think the other thing that, like in hearing you talk that I struggle with personally, that um, with my kids is having six kids, it's questions constantly. Can I do this? What about this? How do I expect, you know, like, and, and I get impatient with going just because, and right. as parents, I think it's really important to see questions sometimes. I mean, not like, why can't I have that? Sugar is good. You know, not, not, the yeah, 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 yeah. but they are searching. Our kids are searching. And a lot of times we shut down questions instead of embracing those questions and kind of walking through them and teaching our kids. And so just hearing you speak, it's a kind of a reminder to myself that I need to, I need to be more patient when my kids are exploring things because that, that means their mind is searching for an answer for something. And we oh, do absolutely. have the answer. And so as parents, we need to be pretty deliberate about listening to the questions and walking through those with our kids. Well, yeah, and I will say this about, though, 
what I find that kids are, and this is actually kind of funny because we just saw the new Spider-Man. My kids love the Marvel mm. comic series, and so we saw Spider-Man, and we needed to go see Ant-Man because I had not seen that, and so we watched that. And then I we went and just watched, saw that. Oh, it's one of the best. I mean, it is be so good. I mean, got, you got some, some of the language issues, but sure. it's, it's a funny film. Uh, and pretty clean, actually, as yes. films go. Um, and they wanted to rewatch Avengers. The point of it all is that evolutionary theory is the basis of Marvel Comics. There's an article I want to write hmm. that evolution really only works great in Marvel Comics. I mean, Ultron, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to evolve himself. And he quotes this stuff, you think. He quotes Peter, or, uh, you know, upon this or Jesus, hmm. upon this rock, I'll build my church. And he plays on all this of evolution. you got to know evolutionary theory to understand Ultron. The point is all kids, if they are a tween that are watching these movies, they are being drip-fed an evolutionary worldview, point by point by point by point. It's not just in school, it's right. all around right. them. So I think that teaching kids to be able even to hear and say, now, where did they get that view? Now, why do they right. think that? And it's really necessary for the Marvel Cinematic Universe to have evolution. Otherwise, you can't have all these creatures. But, I mean, we don't really think people fly through the air swinging hammers anyway. So it does, you know, certain people don't have certain, you know, abilities, you know, yeah. to control the weather. So all that to say, you've, there's a certain reality that that's actually, I would argue, evolution really in its ultimate sense is a form of a myth. It's a scientific myth that we've established mm. in order to explain our origins. It's a modern myth. And right. it sounds crazy to think that. Well, no, I think and it's it, pretty thin myth. I mean, it's, when you look at it, it's... It takes, we say this all the time, and it, this is in its simplest form, but it takes more faith to actually believe in evolution than to look at the data that we have and go, okay, there is there is design here. There is absolute design. And I loved, you were talking just before we went on air here about um, your friend in England and, and, not, and the design, how that f all fits together at the same time is a much more plausible argument than... The evolution over millions of years. Would you share that with us? Yeah, group? no. It's a, my friend is Stuart Burgess. So Dr. Stuart Burgess is at Bristol University. I think he's the head of the engineering department there, and he um, is a really well-known engineer in Europe, uh, primarily because he works in bio-inspired design. His idea is a Christian and a six-day creationist, and he has basically said, "Look, I think that the world around me is probably better designed than anything I can do. So I'm going to look to it to get my designs out." That's and amazing. He's designed things like the solar panels on the Invasat, you know, space station or not space station, space satellite, um, the European space satellite. He's worked in redesigning the British bicycling team's bicycle, which is why they won all these medals hmm. um, in this last Olympics. And he actually BBCs on a number of reports. You can go online and see stuff on him on YouTube. He's just this really kind of a mild-mannered guy. But his big point... So he, he studies creation. What he to, does is he to, looks at... Oh, yeah, he talks with a dragonfly about how incredible... Like, they were designing drones. And he said, so how do you... So you've got something that flies incredibly well. Look at a dragonfly. Like, it's tiny, and it flies perfectly, and it can turn on a dime, and you can see all around it. So let's look and see how it flies. He said, when you start studying how a dragonfly actually flies, he said, it's crazy complex, the ability for us to try to even to do this. And he said, mm -hmm. so, yes, he goes to the creation and looks at the designs in it and says, this is, even in a fallen world, and this is an interesting question, so nothing's ever perfect now, but even in a fallen world, the designs are really effective. Our next guest that really uh, made an impact uh, that we both unanimously agreed was uh, Dana Gresh. She's a famous author and speaker uh, and a friend. Absolutely. And she tackles the subjects that are so hard for us sometimes to tackle, specifically sexuality. And uh, it's not one of those things that they were like, hey, kids, let's gather around and talk about sexuality. But it's critical that we do. And so I'm grateful for her and her ministry that she really digs into these things and, and helps us as parents kind of understand the importance of, of having conversations with our kids, 
uh, by building some context and helping us understand what's actually going on in the world. And then some practical advice on how to have some of those conversations and some, some evidence to back um, the reason that this is really important to take serious. Yeah. I thought, uh, I thought our conversation with her was very enlightening and it, it gives a parent a way to navigate sort of the, the hormone frenzy that happens in adolescence. Mm-hmm. You know, there are rules that the Bible sort of lays down on conduct, right, around sexual behavior. Yeah. And our culture has sort of smudged them mm-hmm. uh, to the point where there's a friends with benefits culture that's emerged. Yeah. And, and Dana really goes into some detail about that in this podcast. Absolutely. Um, and helps us understand that, that there's more to it than we're just skating by on like the – or our society, our culture is getting by and just, well, it's just, you know, it's just two consensual adults having fun or experience, but there's a whole lot of science that's happening, you know, beneath the surface. And so I think that's, it's really helpful to understand that. Yeah. I, th- I you know, one of the things I recall is the fact that she talked about how uh, friends with benefits really becomes sort of this committed relationship mm. because the dopamine reaction and the physiology of sex really creates this instinctive need to repeat it. Right. And uh, sort of this binding together of two separate people. And you start to see the wisdom of scripture, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you, there's a reason behind. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just no. It's yeah. not just don't do this. I love what she says. She said this a few times. It's, it's not saying that sex is wrong. It's saying it's not. No. What did she say? I'm not saying don't have sex. I'm having. I'm saying have good sex, and good sex happens when it's the way the Bible prescribes it. And there's a whole lot of science to back that. Right. And I, I think one of the takeaways that I came away from our interview with her is that she, she really her her plan of attack for the parent was to model a healthy life in the home. Mm-hmm. And so she really challenged us to to have dinners regularly. Yeah. And there was a lot of dialogue about that. And then dating our kids, this right. idea of dads dating their daughters and and moms sort of spending time with their sons on a regular basis. Because you're modeling what's a healthy relationship look like. That's right. right? You know? That's right. It's not just our words. We have to we have to live it out. Yeah, this isn't just rules. It's not just throwing down sort of the gauntlet on your kids saying you're not going to do this. It's actually offering to them an alternative by your example as a couple. That's right. You know, the kids today, I mean, this generation currently, if you're a parent, you've got children uh, that are in junior high or younger, your kids have grown up in a digital age uh, where sexuality and imaging of sexuality are so prevalent, it's impossible to avoid it. And then they don't have a brain that works? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) Not, not all the way, not until they're about 20, you know, and and the the sad thing about that is once our brain finally is working at about 26, it starts to decline. (laughs) Well, that's wonderful. I've noticed that actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think the big picture, so a parent is listening, they've got kids, uh, they're growing up, they're getting all of these messages, all of these voices. We're in a post-Christian culture that's hostile to the ideas of purity, the idea of, of waiting for a sexual encounter until marriage. That seems so old fashioned, almost mythic. Um, and here we are in this culture as Christians, and we're trying to preserve that heritage of faith in our kids. You've dedicated your life to this with the books you write, with Secret Keeper Girls, with, with all the things that you're doing. So what advice do you give a parent, Dana, who's, who's got to decide what are the boundaries? How do I help my kids get to marriage? without regrets. How does that happen? 
Well, I, I think one thing is, first of all, understand what God's word says and, and make your decision based on what God's word says. What I, when I read God's word, I can't get around after two decades of studying sexual theology and sexual healing, because that's such a big mm-hmm. part of the church needs to understand how to heal these broken hearts, mine included, um, that I can't get around that God loves a monogamous, faithful sex life that's shared between one man and one woman in marriage. And I, I, have, I have studied from Genesis to Revelation that is what he designed. That is what he intended. And so as a parent, I want to infuse my children with that. However, one of the things I do that's a little different from some Christian sex educators is I really want to have an intelligent faith. I want my faith to make sense, or I want my decisions about parenting to make sense to someone who doesn't share my faith. Hmm. And the fact is, is science just eventually catches up with God's word. You know, we knew, God knew when he had Isaiah write about the circle of the earth, that the earth was round, even though Galileo was going to be called a heretic for saying it. Hmm. You know, science catches up with God. And when it comes to sexuality, we know that science catches up with God. And one way we know this is in our hookup culture, where where there's just friends with benefits and Um, 20-somethings are treating sexual desire like an itch that you scratch. If I have sexual desire, I'm just going to call a friend. It doesn't really matter what the extent of that relationship is. I want a sexual outlet. That's how casually today's 20-somethings treat sex. But the research really indicates that they're not calling random friends. They're calling the same friends over and over and over again. One Stanford University study said it seems like they're becoming addicted and bonded to the same friend with benefits. Why is that? Because God created us to be one with the people we have sex with. You know, the Apostle Paul says in um, in, the, in one of the books to the Corinthians, don't you know that he who unites himself to a prostitute is one with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. So here's the most casual sexual relationship that you can even ever consider. It's sex for pay. There is no relationship here. And still the apostle Paul says, you're still going to be one with her, physiologically one with her, spiritually, emotionally one with her, because it's written from the beginning that two people that have sex together will be bonded together. Well, we've just figured out in the last 10 years that the cocktail of chemicals that wash across the brain when we have sex with someone, the oxytocin, the vasopressin, the dopamine, that they, they the, 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 the effect is so much like glue. Dr. Joseph McElhaney, again, of the Medical Institute for Sexual Health says, it's not just an emotional bonding, but a physiological bonding. It's like a glue from one brain to the other. You become one with the person you have sex with. And so this Stanford study found that students that were thought they were so sexually free that they could have sex with anyone they wanted tended to hook up with the same friend over and over and over again. Friends with benefits, physically impossible. Hmm. Uh, It's oxymoronic. Okay, I'm particularly um, excited about this next uh, clip. 
Dean Deal, I've known for two decades. Uh, we used to work together. He's now the senior vice president of Sony Provident. Uh, when I was in my music days, he and I kind of shared roles. He did the marketing for the label group, and I did all the artist development for the label group. So we have a history that goes into business. And so it was fun to have him on the hot seat and to talk about things that weren't business related, that had to, I mean, because he's also a professor. He's, I mean, he's, I've always known he's incredibly smart. Um, I'm, I'm wittier than he is just, Oh, well, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> but he has just this wealth of knowledge and he's raised successfully some amazing kids and has had enough of life under his belt to be able to speak from authority. And I thought some of the things that he shared were really f just simple and concise, but really made me stop and think. Absolutely. You know, as we were looking over the, the different interviews of the season, and his really stuck. There were a couple of quotes that he sort of just threw down. Like he didn't come in with notes or anything mm -mm. or interview. He just sat down and it all just kind of flowed out of him. Yeah. And, you know, he's not a like super social guy. Mm -mm. Um, but once you got him talking, it was interesting, right? All that's always been the way with Dean. Out. He's yeah. just, he's one of those guys that is just a very, very deep well and very smart. And when you get a chance to sit down, sit down and talk to him, you you realize just how deep that well is. And so I agree. There's some great quotes. Why don't you read a couple? Well, of yeah. Them? I mean, I wrote a few down right in the middle of the interview, and and I still refer to them. Uh, one of them is selling salvation is one of the great failures mm. of the evangelical church over the past century. We've tried to sell the gospel, and we're not called to sell the gospel. It's not a sales proposition. It's an offer of life. <laughs> so true. Gosh, what a great quote, right? And it, exactly. Because we often kind of, we're the ones, we have to pitch this, and we have to figure out how we're going to pitch it. And I think there's something to be said for being sensitive to who you're talking to and how you talk to it. But at the end of the day, we can't look at this like a sales proposition. This really is life. I mean, it really is something that substantial. I, that's a great quote. I love the holy one. What was that that he said? Yeah. So Jesus never called us to be good, but holy. Mm. Good is what we do. Holy is what he does. Love that. Holy yeah. is what he does. Yeah. I mean, so really, if you if you want to know what the theme of the interview, the, the time with with Dean was about is really about how does culture and the and the church sort of clash. You know, where where does our modern culture invade the church? And then as parents, how do we push back a little bit in our homes and mm. say, look, that's a secular idea and this is a God idea. Yeah. Um, and, and Dean takes that from sort of this concept to like really sort of almost painfully true uh points. True. Absolutely <laughs> so, true. Yeah. I'm excited for our listeners to hear this. As a marketer, um, we call it FOMO, fear of missing out. Okay. As marketers, we use fear of missing out as one of the primary things that move people towards a product you're trying to sell. And again, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm anti-evangelical. I do believe we're called to share the gospel. Mm -hmm. I don't believe we're called to sell the gospel. Right. It's not a sales proposition. It's an offer of life. Right. Um, but as a marketer, you can look at how the church has used fear of missing out mm. as a way to sell the gospel. We use that. And, and so our children are being bomb being bombarded. Everything is subtle. Um, it's like if you can get through puberty without acne, you probably should thank uh, your your makeup company. It's like it's something everybody is. They make them so afraid. It's like just terrified. You wake up and you see that pimple in your life is over. Mm -hmm. Fear did that. Mm. 
I mean, ring around the collar. You, they don't even do that anymore. You have to be pretty old to remember ring around the collar. <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like, I have this terrible fear. I'm like, oh my well, gosh, it's, it's me. me. And then my, my mom used to say, just wash your neck. <laughs> You know, if you would just wash your neck, you wouldn't have fear. I'm not going to go buy that stuff. I just want you to wash your neck and then we don't have to worry about it. But even back then, it's like products and things that they use, they use fear Mm -hmm. that you're going to miss out on something or you're going to be laughed at or you're going to be challenged. And um, one of the things that helped us, I can't believe I'm saying this helped us, but one of the things that helped us avoid that trap is two of my daughters and my wife and I've had it at times to suffer from extreme anxiety. Hmm. And when, I mean, we have my daughter, Emily, who's just a act of grace of God, how God has brought her out of herself. But there was a two year period when she was 14, 15, she's given me permission to share this where she couldn't leave the house. Hmm. She had so much anxiety. And when you see fear at that level, then it's completely off the board as a parent. And and it it really took that. It helped us raise our kids to know fear is not an option. We if we use fear to control them, we're feeding something that they're already struggling with. So in a way, the fact that my kids struggled with that made us better parents. Because hmm. we had to be, we had to table. become very encouraging. And for the two that didn't have anxiety, we didn't use fear with them either because it was just like we will not have a spirit of fear. Right. In our house. And I will say this because a lot of times fear is presented as a lack of faith. The opposite of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is self-reliance. There are people that suffer from anxiety and fear that it has nothing to do with weakness on their part. It's a chemical reaction in their body. Mm -hmm. And I get so frustrated when I hear about people with young children with anxiety. It seems to be an epidemic, really, with young people. It's one of the biggest... Maybe... maybe our age, we had anxiety too, and they just called it something else. Mm. Like, I remember being afraid to go to school, and my dad was just like, get in the car. Right. You know, maybe right. just people weren't as sensitive to it. Mm. But, but nowadays. But now, it's like, if you need help, if you need to take uh, something like Zoloft or something like that to help, with that, take the medicine. It's not a lack of faith. It's not like you're not trusting God. You you have a chemical thing that needs help. And I also think that we live in a society now that, you know, I talk about this a lot with people that the way we grew up, we can't compare the way we grew right. up versus there are so many more voices speaking into our kids' lives. There are so many more options. There are so many more things to be afraid of that they're completely aware of. I mean, it's, it's nonstop 24-7. And so the complex world of an 11-year-old or 10-year-old or 8-year-old now looks very different than when I was 8 or 10. And so it's not even it's not even close to apples and apples. I mean, we are asking our kids to process and to, um, I guess, react to situations that we didn't have to deal with until we were adults. I mean, because we, we were unaware of all these facets to a modern-day life. And so I think that contributes a great deal to the fear that that cripples some of our kids. Well, and I'll tell you this too. One of the things we learned, because we homeschooled our kids and we homeschooled the older three all the way through high school. Mm. And they, my youngest child, who is the extrovert in the family, she spent high school. We put her in a school for high school because she just, it was her relationship with her mom was going to suffer if we tried to force the issue. It's like homeschooling has to be yeah. best for everybody. But if you think you can protect it, if you're driven by fear as a parent, you think you can protect mm-hmm. your family, you can't. Right. Yeah. 
Exactly. You can't. And there are things that have happened in my family that I can't share in this formula, in this forum. But I will just say this. You think you can build a fence to keep the world out. The world will come into your home. That's right. And it will attack your family. And, and Satan will get a hold of your children. He will have access mm. no matter what you do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if you spend all your time building fences and not teaching your kids self-defense, <laughs> they're going to get killed. Yeah. I you see what I'm saying? That's it's a, like, a, good a lot of times I think parents, they'll just put If I've got a good enough fence, then I don't have to talk about these awkward things with my kids. Mm-hmm. If I put up a good enough uh, barrier on the Internet, I won't have to talk to my kids about sex when they're 10. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. If you just trust the fence and you don't give them the tools to defend themselves, it's like, great, we got a fence, but here's a shotgun, too. Right. Yeah. In case something gets through the fence. And, and so, I, I, you know, we learned that the hard way. Mm. And it about ripped our hearts out mm. when Satan climbed over the fence we had in place and grabbed one of my kids. Yeah. And it happens. I mean, it doesn't matter what what even if you're aware like you're pretty aware of things that are going on outside it's still you know it can happen to anyone it absolutely can and so we can't make fear-based decisions as parents we have to make faith-based decisions we have to root the decisions we make about how we're going to raise our family, not in what do we want, but what does God want? Yeah, and it goes back to kind of what you said about, and I and don't know the exact words, but you were saying the opposite of fear is self-reliance. Yes. When we raise our kids... opposite of faith... Of faith. ...is self-reliance. If we are raising our kids out of love, we have to have faith. And I, I think, to me, the hardest thing about being a parent is doing our best to put up the fences, doing our best to teach defense... But then also having to go, it's not up the outcome, the destiny, the whatever. I have to trust God with this. I have to trust that there is a greater work at play than just self-reliant, what I can bring to the table. That God is using the process of life in our kids' lives just as he uses the process of life in our life. And sometimes that gets messy. You know, it's funny. I feel like one of the biggest weaknesses in the church right now is... We don't trust the Holy Spirit. Hmm. You know, if salvation is a gift, if salvation is a work of God, and I believe it is entirely a work of God, then God does it. Yeah. And we want to do the things that the Holy God's promised the Holy Spirit will do, like convict of sin, like talk to you know to try to direct them and try to get. And the Holy Spirit supposed to do that, and then we don't do the things that He's asked us to do, like be obedient to him and to be humble in the way we raise our children and to respect and honor and love them and to trust God to take care of them. That's what I mean by self-reliance. Right. If you look in Romans chapter 1, which is really another description of the fall, it's Paul's version of the fall and he's writing to Romans, so he has to take it out of a Jewish context and put it in a context for Gentiles. And he said, because they didn't honor God in their hearts nor give glory or thanks to him, he turned them over. You know, the, the sin, whether you put it in the garden of eating of the fruit or the sin of they did not honor God in their hearts, they did not give him glory, both places, the sin was not fear. or It, it was, I want to do this. I want to have the knowledge of right. good and evil. I want to take the credit for the good things in my life instead of giving it to God. Self-reliance. And self-reliance as parents is going to get your kids killed. 
Hmm. I mean spiritually killed. Yeah. You know? And sometimes maybe even more drastic, but really I'm talking about spiritually. It's like if you're relying on yourself to protect your children, as a college um, professor, assistant professor, assistant. thank you. Um, but as a college professor, I advise 65 students and I advise 130 parents, mm-hmm. you know, or some number of between. Right. Yeah. Um, and we call them helicopter parents. Helicopter parents are the ones that just hover around their kids everywhere they go and just cannot let go. And there have been times where I've asked the student in an advising session with incoming freshmen, I'm like, why don't you go out and talk to so-and-so? And I get the parents and I'm like, you got to let go. You can't micromanage their lives. You have to let go and trust God. Mm. Because it's like if you're trying to manage their lives, they're going to get killed. At some point, you're not going to be able to see everything they're doing. At some point, they're going to be on their own. And if that happens for the first time at 18, look out. So that was season two. Uh, best of, anyway, for the podcast. I'm, Robert, it was, uh, it was quite a joy to do this. It was. I mean, you're right. We did start this off just kind of like, well, let's try this. But like, like we said at the beginning of this, I've learned so much. I mean, from last season and this season, I find myself in conversations with my wife or in my, with kids or just other people referring to the things I learned on this podcast. And so I would just say, if you, if this is the first podcast you listen to, it's a good one to listen to because it's, you're getting kind of three samples of, of some really great stuff, but take the time, take the 30 to 40 minutes and go back through each one of them and listen, there's, there's some real jewels in each, in each and every one of our episodes. And it's been, it's been fun. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm glad to hear that you admitted you've learned a lot. Yeah. Well, not from you. Oh, well, I mean, it just Winston, maybe. I mean, Winston, maybe. I mean, I guess it's unfair for me to say that I haven't learned anything from you. I've, I've learned, you know, what not to do. <laughs> I've, I've okay. learned how, like what things I need to stay away from. And so, oh, yeah. I do appreciate so, that. you know, I, um, there's no way I'm going to beat you at the war of words, but you know, I think my robot was pretty cool. Uh, if you didn't see that, you know, I think it's like uh, episode three or four. I got a cool robot, made the video. You know, that's one of the things we did in season two. We sort of expanded uh, the ways people can interact with us with YouTube, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes. So we're out there and we rely on you, uh, our listeners, to share and let people know. We have zero marketing budget. We're just doing this because we felt like God told us to. That's right. That's right. And so any little comment that you have or review, especially if it's a good one, if it's a bad one, then don't, <laughs> yeah, just don't leave that. it. Just yeah, keep you that know, to yourself. Just Maybe. pray for us. Yeah. Um, but if you have a good review, please, um, it, it does make a huge difference to us if you if you would comment on um, on your, your social media platform that you're listening to this on. And we're grateful um, and honored that you take the time for us to to speak into your ear. Yeah. And so for all those resources and links to all the seasons we've done here at Brilliantly Brave, just go to our website. It's www.brilliantlybraveparenting.com. Thanks so much for listening. Parents, remember, even if you may not feel brilliant or brave, you are. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 13. This podcast is a service of iShine Ministries and the Tween Gospel Alliance, all rights reserved. Donations to Brilliantly Brave are tax deductible at iShineLive.com. 
review, and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, or on our webpage. And read our blog and connect with us at WordPress at BrilliantlyBrave.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Brilliantly Brave. iShine is a faith-based ministry and media company that looks and feels a lot like a Christian version of Disney. iShine is more than entertainment. We're the producer of the largest Christian tween TV series in the world, a nationally syndicated radio show, a Nashville-based record label, host to multiple live tours and summer festivals, an interactive website and social media, and a provider of printed and digital devotionals, preteen Bibles, and church curriculums. But more than anything, we're a trusted Christian resource for parents and pastors. You can turn to us for all things tween. Check us out at iShineLive.com.